Well, thanks everybody for being here, and um, it Waiting actually patiently. sounds amplified from under here for some reason. Yes, oh, for you. Phone. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah, thanks We're for having waiting. technical difficulties. They're over now, though, right? They are. Okay, so, um, you know, when we when we titled our, our workshop, Awakening the Sleeping Giant, I've always, I've used that phrase for a while, and it sounds really offensive. So I want to say I, I apologize. What we're really referring to there is that is that God has has already chosen his plan, right? And it's his church, and it's his bride, and it's every single member that makes up his bride. And every single member he has equipped as a believer priest to see other people come to faith. A priest in the Latin, is a bridge, right? And a bridge, by nature, gets things, people, from point A to the next season of their life. Spiritually, that's true for us as believers. Believers, it's in our nature, it's natural, it's normal for God to use every single one of us to see somebody else come to faith in Jesus. To be the one used by God in a string of lots of people that are being used by God. To see people come to faith in Christ, right? So what we're trying to do here today is to take everything that we speak of throughout the day in the entire conference, right, and to bring it down to the individual and the practical and the day-to-day and the life-on-life and the, and the minute-moment-at-a-time kind of a scenario. Interesting thing is, like, I just sat all morning, you know, listening to everything that's being said and how the gospel underlies everything. And the, go- the gospel coalition exists, and we're here at this conference because of, People who are committed to keeping the gospel at the center of our hearts and at the center of our lives and at the center of our ministry. And the gospel coalition wouldn't even need to exist if the gospel wasn't slipping. The gospel has been slipping from its prominent place in our hearts and in our ministries. And so we're here today with this call to come back to the gospel, which is exciting. And not only is every God, does God designed it so that he will use every person But as believers in Jesus Christ, we will never find the life and the fulfillment and the purpose for which we exist apart from being fully integrated in this mission that God is on and invited us to be part of. So it's the gospel that has been given to us to connect every person to their creator. Okay. And um, and and that's for all of what life is and all how we identify it. So Acts 17 verse 28. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's, it's that verse. And it so powerfully says that no one is going to find life as a human being in the truest sense of the word apart from the one who created them. This life, okay, right? the now, the right now, here and today, mm-hmm. right? And so we know that the gospel has a massive impact on us every day. So maybe some of us in the room have said not only, in fact, we've got in, in uh, by the way, I serve as the district superintendent for the Evangelical Free Church of America, Western District, okay, so this is our district, and we're sort of teaming up with Gospel Coalition for this event, but in any case, there's one of our, one of our pastors, Jeremy White out in Vacaville, says the gospel isn't, oh shoot, now I'm going to blow his quote. It's not the entry point. Okay, the gospel is not just the entry point, it's the entire point. Okay, so the idea is that we preach the gospel not just for salvation, but so that we would live each and every day. It's the entire point. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day, even as we're holding the gospel forth to people that have never believed in it yet. So, and so that's Acts 17:28, right. And then Acts 4:12. we also know, and this is what we're more used to, and that is that there's no other name under heaven by which one must be saved than the name of Jesus, right? And so... We give the name of Jesus. We give the gospel. It's all we have to offer. Paul said it. If we don't preach him and him crucified, risen, etc., we got none to say. We have nothing to say, nothing to offer. It is the one thing we have to offer, 
The grace of the gospel is our message and is who we are and what we have to offer. There's a lot of other things that could distract us. We've been hearing about that a little bit and warned about it a little bit already this morning. Let's not let that distract us. Let's open our hearts up to the idea that just maybe mm -hmm. um, we could focus even more on the practical outworking of being immersed in God's word and in an attitude of prayer, like our first two sessions, and then go from there and actually see how that links us to become the bridge between every single person that God puts on our pathway. And the thing is, because the gospel has been slipping from its prominent place in our hearts, in our lives, it's almost like we, we accept Christ and then we put the gospel on the shelf and go live for him, right? But there's no life to be found. There's no intimacy with Jesus for me to experience today apart from the gospel. There's no finding myself in my creator today apart from Jesus, right? And so in the church today, there's less and less real intimacy with Jesus and passion for his kingdom. We don't see the passion with the kingdom, and so we go, we gotta, we gotta train our people, we gotta teach our people more, we gotta grow and equip our people more. But the real issue is that when we do all of that, it focuses me on my spiritual life. And any passion I might have had for the kingdom gets lost in me trying to get more intimate with Jesus. And we're here to tell you today from some crazy experience in our own lives that it's as we get intimately connected with the gospel and Jesus and live there, focused on the big scope of what everybody needs in being connected to their creator, that that passion will grow inside of us and the intimacy with him because this is his heart. This is his mission. So we need to be engaged with him on his mission. So we're going to be assuming some things today, okay? And, and that's a tough one in a crowd like this. I mean, people that attend the Gospel Coalition conferences tend to be a different swath of the Christian community, right? So there's a little bit of intimidation to that. I don't know. But since you decided to come here into this room today, uh, also tells us that there's a little bit of practicality, a little bit of real life that you care about, and that, that sort of thing also. And so that, that's, that's encouraging, because what we're going to give to you today is a very, very, very simple tool. In fact, it's not new to you. Most of you in the room will say, I've been living like that my whole life, or I've at least believed in what you're talking about my We're not going to teach you anything that you don't already know. And so you might be tempted to go, think it's nothing. And in the sense that we have new information to give you, it's nothing. But in the practical application of the simple tool, there's huge ramifications not only for you, but everybody you're connected to in this whole. Which is key in my mind, because this isn't just for you. My hope is that, in fact, you're going to be able to give this away. What we feel like we've discovered over, so I, I pastored churches for 28 years. A year and a half ago, I became a denominational employee, and I thought like I had like gone off of some edge or something. You know, it's like I, you know, those who play, Sold play, out. those who can't, coach, you know, that, that kind of thing, right? And I felt like I'd just been escorted out of the real where the life is really lived you know but in any case it's been really fun to be able to be the pastor to pastors and then exert influence perhaps when some of our pastors have been willing and our churches have been willing to, to listen as i've been going around i've been i've been one of the messages i've been delivering comes really from the entire book of philippians which is my personal favorite okay i don't know about i i, I find lots of people nodding that way because philippians is so amazing and we've talked about that book being a lot of different things, but what I've discovered nine different times through the book of Philippians in four short chapters, not only does, does, does Paul give us like 43 references to the name of Christ, first of all, okay, 
but nine different times he refer references us references us back to the gospel. It's about the gospel, the participation in the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, the defense of the gospel, etc., etc. Nine different times saying whatever else I'm talking to you about right now, and he talks about a lot of issues in the book of Philippians, it's all about the furtherance of the gospel. And if your life, and in fact in many of those very famous passages about the health of the church, the unity of the church, the, the purpose of the church, and, and all, the encouragement and all of that of the church, it really comes back to being fully and intentionally one in our focus of the furtherance of the gospel. So our contention is that none of us as believers can live in the way that God has designed it unless we are all engaged in kingdom impact, giving the gospel away to those that have yet to receive it. Now, here's a problem, and I'll, and I'll sorry, I'm departing from everything we thought we were going to do. You know, I get to do that. I'm huh? used to that. Yeah, seriously. Okay, so, so I'm going to go ahead and do the vote thing, okay? So how many of you in the room, and you're here, so I'm wondering if this is going to be an imbalanced group or an unusually gifted group, but how many of you in the room actually believe that you have, you possess the spiritual gift of evangelism? One and two and three. I knew it. A lot more. See, I know. You just blew the whole ratios out of the water, okay? But still, okay? what was like it, six, five? Six, I think. Okay, usually when I go around and ask that question, it's one in a hundred. Which tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that if it's left up to the gifted, then the Great Commission is not going to be fulfilled. Amen? That goes true for the professional. And we've created a professional class of Christians in our Western world, haven't we? And so we send them away to certain schools, and we send them through, and they get certificates they can hang on their walls, and sometimes we even dress them funny, and we put them on platforms, and we do that sort of thing. And when that happens, it, it almost creates this division between those who can and those who just need to watch. You know, don't try this at home. You, this. you could get injured doing this. Okay, our contention is no. This is ours. This is yours. And when you get grab a hold. So now here's the problem. Most of us sense inadequacy, fear, anxiety. I don't know the answers to the deep theological questions. I don't think I'm a very good example of holiness. I'm not a good witness. I, I'm not even sure I could close the deal, you know, if it came to praying the prayer. You know, all, we have all this sense of, in fact, in the book that we wrote, and you maybe have seen it, here, here it is, okay, that book, Pray and Watch, okay? I, I did something a little bit controversial in there in a, in a sort of a personal testimony. I said that evangelism sucks. So that if I just lost all of you right there, like out loud, because I just said that out loud, I apologize. We actually wrote some apologies for the book because we got some pushback on it. In any case, all I mean by that is that for most of us, it's like evangelism, <gasps> ah, it's not accessible. It's not something that can be mine. I can't live this out. I've got to leave it to others. It makes me throw up and nauseous. I'm allergic to evangelism. Let me tell you, part of the reason that that is true is that we approach evangelism like we tend to approach everything in our Christian life from the outside in. It's something I do out here hoping that it's going to affect who I am in here. And I don't think it was designed to be that way. So we want to talk to you about evangelism from the inside out, right, where something, ha something is happening in here that results in my life being used for other people to find Jesus. So it's all about the, this tool that we have um, when D.A. Carson talked this morning about training ourselves in godliness, it's a tool to help your people train themselves in godliness. And what is more godly than a passionate love for the lost? What is more godly than that? And so this tool is something that people can use and you can use with people 
so that they can train themselves in godliness in this specific um, way we're looking at it. So it's, it's about seeing myself through the lens of the gospel as I'm walking through life, seeing my life and all of its circumstances through the lens of the gospel, and, and maybe most importantly, seeing every person around me through the lens of the gospel so that every single person I see's greatest need is beyond what I can see. It doesn't matter how great their life is or how broken their life is. Every single one of us, including me, my greatest need today is Jesus. My greatest need is the gospel because without it, I'm not connected to my creator. Right? And so, and so we want yes, this to we want you to begin right now to believe with us that this is accessible and available to you today, right now, immediately you can have kingdom impact. Okay? And we're not going to talk to you about passing out tracks or street preaching or knocking on doors. We're going to talk about any of that stuff that's really scary to most of us. Have, have some of you picked up one of these? We have a table upstairs. There's a couple of them around. Okay, so almost everybody hasn't when I don't have enough. We'll pass them around until they know there's, I don't even know if there's enough, to be honest. But when, what we're, Take one if you want. Anyway, that's, that's just another, another, another tool. But Yeah, ahead. where it starts today is that our tendency is to try to give people something to do. But instead, what we want to invite you to consider is giving people something to believe, something really primary, something really simple, something really all-focusing of all of our lives, okay? It's a simple truth that you that is at the heart of our gospel. Our heart of our gospel says what matters most in this life is that people find Jesus, correct? That's the essence of the gospel because no Jesus, no life, right? No life now, no life eternal especially, right? So what matters most, our gospel says, is people finding Jesus. By the way, if you feel the urge to argue with us about that, because we just said what matters most, and whenever you make a statement like that, it like begs to, like, there's, no, I have a list of four other things that I think matter at least just as much. Think of it this way. If a person is perishing, and they're actually perishing apart from Christ, what matters most to them is that encounter with Christ that, is, that brings them from darkness to light, from death to life. What matters most is that that person finds Jesus. Okay, That's what matters most. Now, you might also be wondering about the whole people finding Jesus thing. Somebody once asked me, what, is, is, is he lost? Is Jesus lost? <laughs> and they found him. Um, and so there's theological argumentation in this whole thing, too. All we mean by that phrase, simplify this, let's not, you're going to find us not to be theological arguers, okay? All we mean by that is that darkness to light, death to life, natural to spiritual. It's that moment that only the Holy Spirit can do. Only God can save. You and I can't save a soul. We just get to help. But in that process, it's that it's that moment when, in fact, we are transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit, and now all is confirmed in our life. That's what we mean by people finding Jesus. And why it's so important is that before they did, before they did, they were actually perishing. So that one moment of finding Jesus is the crucial one, but there's an ing, we put the ing on there on purpose, and that is because all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. My life is hidden with Christ and God, and so it's for me. What matters most for me is finding Jesus as well. And so it's this ongoing thing. And the the thing is that as Christian, as believers, everybody in your ministry, you, there's so much truth that we know. And so we have to start somewhere. 
with taking truth and making it a central feature of our lives. And I can't think of a better one to start with than what matters most is people finding Jesus. If indeed is this what matters most, and also if we don't put the word most in there, then it just becomes another one of the good things that we can be involved in. And it's why the gospel's lost its prominent place because we just made it one of the things that the church is about. No gospel, no church, right? The, I heard someone say the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And I so agree with that because the gospel came first and then the church was formed to perpetuate the gospel, not the other way around. God didn't give the church the gospel so they'd have something to do to, you know, legitimize their existence. It's the other way around. The gospel drives our existence. So and our people need to believe it. We need to believe it deep down inside of ourselves. Okay, so there's the point. Um, this is going to be another method. It's going to be another program, and it's going to be another thing that you do for a couple of weeks, and a couple of your people think, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that sounds nice. And then you forget about it, like there's been so many of those, and they're all lining your shelves, right? Unless you believe it. And so I hope you heard Judy. If you believe this reality of, of most people on Earth's existence, that they must find Jesus, or there are ultimate issues connected to this, eternally perishing apart from Christ. Uh, if you believe it, it will change every single thing about the way you view life, the way you view people, the way you view ministry, the way you view money, the way you view church, the way you view work, the way you Family. view conflict, pain, tragedy, mm -hmm. success, happiness, winning, losing. You can paint any scenario you want to paint, and you will find that if what matters most is people finding Jesus is actually what's regulating in that moment, it will completely alter your perspective on everything in that scenario. So it's really, really important for you to think about believing, for us to think about believing as in two different ways. It's not here, but it's here, right? And it's not here in this room, but it's out there in every moment of everyday life. Because it doesn't really matter what I believe when I'm sitting in this room. It's just the starting point. What matters is that I believe what I believe in the middle of my family life, my social life, my work life, my pain, my struggles, my finances. It's what I believe in the middle of the moment of everyday life and the next moment that dictates who I become. And we are really good at believing it here. And we're good at believing it when we're in the, in the spiritual environment. Man, we can sit in there and amen ourselves to death. And that's a good starting place. But we can't stop with ourselves or our people with believing it here we have to train ourselves to believe it in all the moments of life and this is nothing new and you know this biblically speaking right deuteronomy 6 says what okay that, that okay but it, it's the same it's the same truth right yep, but how in deuteronomy 6 what what are the ways that children are trained in that context as you walk by the way as you lay down as you sit uh, yeah all, you know Okay, as a way of life, right? That's kind of the thrust of that passage. As a way of life, live out your faith. Make it real. Did you ever notice that that's also been rebooted in, in the New Testament? So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's our, it's our passage, isn't it, right? It's the Great Commission passage. And Jesus said, as you are going, make disciples, etc. And we could get real specific about that, but we don't have time. As you are going, as you're living your life out, as you're moving and, and, and going forward and having your being in life, as a way of existence, because you exist, that's the way that is. Philippians, I referred to it a minute ago, same thing. 
There's one in there that says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We've taken that thing and wrenched it into a legal system and said, we must have good conduct. In other words, do the do's, don't do the don'ts. Or we'll be a bad witness and unworthy of the gospel. The gospel in is reality, worth every moment of our lives. The, go the gospel is worthy of that prominent place. But that word conduct is actually not about conduct, but about putting one foot in front of the other. <laughs> As you are going on about your life, conducting yourself, some translations actually translate it conversation. And that doesn't even mean your speech necessarily. It's about the moment by moment way that you're just living out your life. And so all of us are doing that. And we can do this in this kind of a, this vein with this kind of a belief. If we believe it regulates every step of our life. So part one is that you like copy what uh, Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 6. And you take this truth and you plaster it all over your life and all over your ministry. Okay. That means you keep saying it over and over and over again. You say it out loud. So you hear yourself saying it. You say it to other people. So you hear yourself communicating about it with others and they hear it. You write it on your mirrors. You put it on sticky notes. You plaster it everywhere. Write it on your forehead and on your hands, whatever he said in Deuteronomy. It, he says plaster it everywhere, but it's not so that our outsides are plastered with it. It's so that our hearts get plastered, right? That's the goal. And I love, I love the word plaster because of just the permanent foundation that it creates on our hearts. And so that's our first, the first part of today's challenge is that you would take that truth. What matters most is people finding Jesus and you would write it everywhere, put it on your phone. You should write it somewhere in your notes right now. The words themselves, you can change them, right? They're, there's no magic in the words, but the essence is huge. So if you want to rephrase it in a way that has the exact same essence and speaks to your heart, do it. But, but leave here with it. Otherwise, you won't do it. If it's not written down when you leave this room. Okay, so now we're going to the second part, which is really, it is a practice. It's like a behavior. And that's why we always start this way. Because if you don't believe this thing first, then all this is going to do is become another Christian behavior. Please don't let it become another Christian behavior. And we're not talking about a behavior or an activity, really. We're talking about a way of life. Or a program starts with or a method. Telling myself the truth all the way through life and then... There's a second part. Okay, so the second part is it fits perfectly with our last session. It's a prayer, okay? And again, not a magic prayer, although we've come to call it the five-second prayer, and we tease ourselves and we tease everybody else about this five-second prayer, right? If you pray this five-second prayer, it will revolutionize the world and your life and all of that, right? And we, know, we all know better than that, okay? But it's a biblically-based, derived prayer that focuses us on the same gospel for which Jesus died and rose again, okay? So it has two pieces. The first half of this prayer comes from John 6, 44. The second half of this prayer comes from Matthew 9, 36 to 38. These are both very familiar passages, okay? So here's the prayer. Father, draw these people to yourself and make them a kingdom laborer. The first part is a prayer for addition. Draw these people to yourself. In John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. That's a powerful statement. Made and I will raise him up on the last day. I love the promise. I know. Yeah. And the power of Jesus, it doesn't minimize the power of Jesus. He's the one that's going to raise him up on the last day. But he said, nobody's going to come to me. So that's John 6, 44. the Father draws him. Father, draw. All we're doing is saying, okay, God, this is the way you set it up. We'll cooperate with you. You want to save people more than we do? I'm going to ask you to do that. If my neighbors are going to get saved, it's because the Father is going to draw them. 
And yeah. That, and, and, and by the way, what? everybody take a big deep breath right now because this, <laughs> I, I can't save anybody. The pressure's completely off of me. The Father has to draw them. Jesus, Jesus even said it. <laughs> My Father has to draw them to me. And so it's like, okay, let's all relax now. Because some tells me that all of our yet-to-believing friends would like us all a lot more if we were a little more relaxed. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Okay, so then the second half of the prayer is Matthew 9, 36 to 38, which speaks, of, you remember Jesus was walking with his disciples, and he starts to speak of the harvest that's ready. It's white. It's ready. And so he's, he's about ready to give instruction to his disciples. And you can bet these guys by this time in the journey are ready to grab sickles and start hacking at the white harvest, right? But he says, no. He didn't say no. He just said, let me redirect you. I want you to pray. Do you remember this? Pray that God would what? Good. Thrust forth more laborers into the harvest field, right? The because Lord there's so of the harvest. much harvest. Okay. He's the Lord of the harvest, yeah. and he thrusts laborers into the harvest. He draws people to himself, and he thrusts laborers into the harvest. And it's just a clear calling for us to pray, not just prayers of addition, but prayers of multiplication. Okay, do you understand what we mean by that, by the way? So addition is when one person comes to faith in Jesus, okay? And then I go, and God uses me, and another person comes to faith in Jesus, and now we've added two people to the people. kingdom. I keep adding people. Multiplication, though, is when I am used by God and I see one person come to faith in Jesus and then both of us are now used because we're kingdom laborers to go win somebody to Jesus and I'll walk this way now. And then all four of us do and now it's eight and then eight or 16 and, and that's, that's multiplication when everybody's engaged as a kingdom laborer. There, there's an interesting thing about this too and I'll, I'll say this just because I think it, it, it addresses something that is an attitude among us in our, and again our western maybe 21st century North American evangelicalism. We, we were a part of two organizations that you know very well that trained us early in life, and sometimes they were compared to their emphasis in ministry. One was that they really emphasized evangelism, and the other one really emphasized discipleship. And somewhere along the way, we split those things up and made them into two different things. And I think that maybe, oh, this is just me, that, I think that was a mistake. Hmm. Um, but, but here's how the phrase went, in sort of a proud tone, we don't just make converts, we make disciples. Okay, give me a break right here and now. For one thing, when a person is on this, this line, okay, where, where they're, they're going along in their life, right, and they come to that place where they're thinking about crossing the line because they understand the gospel and so forth, and then they get it and they start walking with Jesus and they take off and go up because, in fact, right here is regeneration and that's that line. You could say that they're not a disciple and now they are a disciple, right? And so if we're going to make disciples, it's all about... You guys can't see that over the there. The moment of deciding it's an incredible to follow. Picture. You need to see this. Yeah. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Right down here, right, are the flames of hell. And this moment right here allowed this person to escape that. So don't ever tell me that conversion is something that you don't just only convert people. Please, it is the most important thing that happens to anyone. What but matters most is people finding Jesus, okay? But now, we've got this massive world that has billions and billions of people in it right now, right? And so unless we're all engaged in this process from this time forward, then we're not going to reach others that are in this same plight. So we need kingdom laborers. And we want to see people come to faith in Christ and be kingdom laborers and do so immediately, by the way, not after six membership classes and four years of seminary training, but right now, because they've had a genuine encounter with Christ. When you pray for someone... When you pray for someone like this, 
They are in such a different place when they come to Christ. They're in a different place. And guess what's the first thing you're going to teach them to do if you didn't already teach them to do it before they came to Christ because of your own life? To They're going to... They're going to um, be thinking like kingdom laborers. You're going to teach them to pray the same prayer. You're going to teach them. Here's what matters most now that you're a follower of Jesus. God has to do it, but guess what? He's invited us to help, and this is how we do it. This is how you came to Jesus. God worked in your heart. Part of the process was God working in your heart as I prayed, not only for you to come to him, but to become a kingdom laborer. And then you have, you know, you just get them going immediately Telling themselves the truth, what matters most is people finding Jesus, and then praying, Father, please draw Sean right now, wherever she is, whatever she's doing, please draw her to yourself, and raise her up to labor for your kingdom. Okay. So there's a demonstration. That's now, the prayer. I want watch. you guys to think of the names of three people, first names only, that you're pretty sure nobody's a judge. We don't know any man's heart, right? We, we don't know what a woman's thinking about her life and, you know, whatever. We're not a judge. But you're pretty sure that they don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. They are not transformed. Okay? They're and even if they do, you can see that they're definitely not living for okay. the kingdom. Okay, so th the names are three. Can you think of three people in your life that, that you maybe have probably already been praying for? And you would love to see Jesus save their soul. That's who we're talking about right now. You got them? Three names? Okay, I want their faces to be right here. I want their name to be on the tip of your tongue. And in fact, we're going to go ahead and spew those names out right now together when I count three you say all three names out loud okay you ready can you do this is this okay we can do this one two three sweet okay now i want you to picture something really quick here we we planted a church in ashland nebraska it's a little tiny town of 2200 people farm community between lincoln and omaha and by the way, the Cornhuskers are beating up on the Wisconsin well, Badgers right now. they were the last time we checked. Uh-oh. And, so and I'm missing that dead. game. So you know how much I'm passionate about the kingdom because I'm missing my Huskers. So anyway, anyhow, so we planted this little church. Oh, we, it's 17 to 17. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We were ahead 10 to nothing. At so anyway, let's close in prayer. <laughs> okay, so, so anyway, we, we planted this church with these as some foundational principles. And the people in our church... It was a fascinating deal because as God added numbers daily, like in the book of Acts, you know, where it, it says that he added numbers daily and he kept a number and the, the congregation was increasing, et cetera, et cetera. It's all the way through the entire book of Acts, by the way. It, it, it starts off miraculous and crazy and like, no, you're not going to have 3,000 converts with your next sermon, Pastor. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. All right. So you do that with Peter. Right. But then it becomes more and more normal as you go along the way. And that's what we experienced. What we experienced is that people began to think of these individual people in their life, pray for them, Father, draw them to yourself, and make them a kingdom laborer, and it started to happen. And people were being drawn. And really messy, broken people, like to this day, we, we've been gone for a year and a half, and we constantly get pray and watch stories. We constantly get people telling us about people that we prayed for forever, or I loved on their kids, and this is the most recent one this week, and now the, the mom is coming to Christ, it looks like. Um, but some of the messiest, most broken people who have owned the mission are being used by God in incredible ways. And I want them to get their life together. I really do. Like, and I, and I have this, this thing, this leftover thing that says they can't be as effective if they don't have their life together. And then it, God just keeps proving me wrong on that. It's like, I'll get their life together by the time I come back. That's my plan. I'm going to perfect it all the way till the day of Christ Jesus. But I'm not going to wait to use them. 
It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that little tiny children can take a hold of this truth and couple it with this prayer and watch God work. So can the elderly who can't get out of their house. And names can be fed to people who aren't out able to mix with people. And then stories can be told about the way that God is working. And every single person in your life can be invited into this place where we engage with the mission from the inside out. And the gospel becomes more alive in our own hearts and lives and more powerful in us. Our intimacy with our king grows because we're we're living connected with his kingdom. We're aligning our heart with his heart. The great mission of our great God's great heart is owned by our hearts. And it just changes everything. There's no better disciple-making practice than this one. And we, there's four practices in, in our book that's out on the table that are all really important. But if I ever only could pass on one, this would be it. Because it all grows out of this connection with the gospel. And it engages us as disciple makers. Um, imagine that you just gave three names and maybe a couple of you cheated and did more than three. And that's, that's an awesome way to cheat. That's when you get to cheat. Um, but what we basically did is start a pray and watch list, okay? And, and, and new names are going to be added. And when you're praying for people, Father, draw them to yourself and make them kingdom laborers. And then you're watching, that's the W, you're watching to see that God is actually drawing them. You're in their vicinity with them. You, you, you run into them at the grocery store. You, you, you work side by side. They're on the same team as your kid is on that team too. You, you run into these people. You have a chance to watch. And all of this, by the way, is incognito. Did you notice this? What, what we're trying to do, and Judy mentioned, smallest children and the most infirmed at the other end of life. All unified. All unified, and it's truth. accessible to every single person. I've never come across anything that was more accessible. Why? Because all we're doing is praying, and you can do that in the quietness of your closet. But every you don't have to be in the quietness now. of your closet. You're driving in your car, and you see, you're pulling out of your driveway, and you see your neighbor's house, and you pray, God, please work in the Johnson's hearts today and draw each person in their family, Kim and Chad and Nico and Ryan and Callie and Grant to yourself and make them kingdom laborers. And Grant died last year. And you can pr- yeah, and you can do it with your eyes closed or your eyes open, depending on your situation. Your teenagers can walk through the halls in their school, unleashing the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we have the power to unleash the Spirit of God into our world. And what we, the vision that we want you to go away from here today with, is imagine what would happen if every believer on this planet saw their privilege. And their greatest role and privilege to walk through life unleashing the Holy Spirit into the hearts of everyone they came in contact with. You don't have to know their name to pray for them. I can't really go to the movie theater anymore without before the movie starts or maybe several times throughout the movie I will. Pray for the hearts of the people that are sitting around me in the theater. In the darkness. While they're in this movie, (laughs) the Spirit of God would be at work drawing their hearts to himself. We had a friend named Margo that was working in her garden, and she had so immersed herself in this way of life that she happened to just stop and take a break and stretch and look up, and there was a jet going over. And she found herself praying for the people that were in the jet that God would draw them to himself and make them kingdom laborers. And who knows where they ended up going and how they ended up influencing the entire world. And if that's all you did, you would lose heart for it very quickly because you wouldn't see the the results of it. But every single person that you come in contact with, 
whether it's someone who regularly serves you coffee or does your hair or lives next door to you or goes to school with your kids or any number of things that would bring you together is a divine appointment to see them through the lens of the gospel and pray for them. Pray the gospel into their hearts and lives. And the gospel is so powerful. And as the gospel rises up in you, it's going to so much more naturally overflow from your lips. And it's not going to be this, I got to get the words of the gospel into this person's heart right now. Because I don't know where they're at in their process with God. I'm watching. Like if I sow seeds on the hard ground, they're going to get eaten up by the enemy. But if I pray and I watch and I love and I stay connected to people, I'm going to be able to see signs that their heart is softening. And chances are those signs are going to be them asking me. Because I'm not hiding my faith from them. I'm just living my own faith, but I'm not trying to push it on them. Because I know something they don't know. The Spirit of God is at work in their hearts right now while they're sleeping, while they're eating, whatever they're doing. Because I have the keys to the kingdom. And I'm unleashing the Holy Spirit into their lives. Which brings me to the last illustration of this that we'll give you, and then we'll open it up for questions and answers and whatever you want to do. Um, So we gave you the little rural farm town illustration. Well, we moved, when we came out here to take on this role as district superintendent, we moved right into the middle and the heart of the city of San Francisco. And people always react on that. Not quite as soft as the soil in Nebraska. Um, And we lived in a crazy little town. But yeah, so so in San Francisco, it's just been this fascinating journey of, of falling in love with real people because we went in with this kind of a spirit. And it's amazing how if, if you if, if you're angry, upset, don't like at odds with somebody, don't pray for them. Right. You know this, right? You start praying for them and God's going to start softening your heart before you know it, you're going to fall in love with them. That's, that's the way this thing works. So, so if you, you don't want to fall in love, list, don't pray. You can have one section of your prayer watch list be people you can't stand. <laughs> or people who don't like you, right? Or people whose kids you won't let your kids play with their kids, right? Those, okay? And just watch what begins to happen in terms of melting and melting and melting. But anyway, we live in San Francisco now, and we, and we went into the city not knowing for sure what God was going to do with us, but there was a day that I was like, saying, okay, here we are, Lord. We believe that we're being obedient to you and doing this. Um, now what? And, and it was as if it was one of those few moments in my life when I, when I sensed, okay, God is directing me to pray this way. He said, ask me for respect and love for every person that comes across your pathway. And so I did. I asked him for it. And guess what he did? He gave it to me. And I can't explain it any other way then in a supernatural sense, every single person I meet in San Francisco, whether they're a little bit like me, because I haven't met anybody that's a lot like me yet, <laughs> or nothing like me, I utterly respect them at a heart level. They're created in the image of God. And it doesn't matter their lifestyle, their political persuasion, their history, anything about them. It makes no difference who they are in any way at all. They are utterly and absolutely respectable. And God has given that to me in my heart. I dare you to pray this prayer with me. It becomes... And, and un- guess what happens? Okay. When you respect people at that level, yes. it's like praying for them. You fall in love with them. And here's what we've experienced. People actually like being loved. That may be the most profound thing we say today. Can you imagine? Right? Go figure. And we had a baby shower just last night for two couples that are having babies. And we're in this room, and it's just like, 
communities falling on us all over the place because these are lonely people they are living in isolation apart from Christ and they're starting to engage with this whole thing of family because they're pregnant which is an unusual thing in the city by the way in and of itself and, and here we are together they're surrogate parents because all these all of our friends are like our kids age now and we get to younger. spend this time with them and younger than our kids and um, it's just been a kick to see that and watch God shape and reshape our hearts and our lives toward people. And in that engaging environment, you will begin to see God building bridges between you and others all the time. More and more bridges. And then you can share the words of the gospel. And we've discovered that you can invite people into community long before you invite them to know Jesus. And that community is a really powerful thing. And the whole idea of people being made in the image of God and therefore they're valuable was always theoretical to me until we moved to San Francisco. There are amazing people. God made people amazing. And all of their pursuits, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they, they, reveal, they reveal God to me. I am learning. I am growing as a person. I like people. I have, but see, we're so busy doing community in the church, and we aren't really most of the time even doing community. We're doing show up at a service together and do the same activities. Doing events. Right? But we desperately need as people, and the fulfillment of the Great Commission requires that we begin to develop community with people that we don't share Christ with, in common with. And in the context of those relationships, I mean, we're believing, we're doing just what the last session, what he called us to do. I can't even remember his name at the moment. Because in the first year and a half that we were in our church plant, where we were sharing about in Nebraska, we saw hundreds of people come to Jesus. We've been there a year and a half. I've spent all my time. I didn't have a ministry job in San Francisco. I had one in Nebraska. So I had to give a lot of my time to the church. But now I'm just giving my time to the lost. That's where I'm spending all my time and I'm seeing one person come to Jesus. But I see community developing here and here and here and here and I see trust being built and I see people who have no trust for believing people and I know that they're going to get around if they haven't already to noticing that I really am not there to push anything on them. I I don't have an agenda for their lives. Okay, God has an agenda in their lives. And I want to watch what he's doing. And if he wants to use me to do it, then yeah. Here I am. And I'm praying and unleashing the Holy Spirit and believing that God is at work. I just can't see it. And when I'm praying for the exact thing that's in alignment with his heart, maybe I, it won't happen until after I'm dead. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I'm okay with that most days. <laughs> uh, Leon's... Um, talked about anticipation, right? That we're that if we would pray with anticipation, the the truth is is that in Nebraska it it, be, it began to become. We we had so many incredible stories to tell, both of success and failure, and great stuff and really stupid stuff, and what, what I mean, because we're so broken and so fleshly, right? But lots of people came to faith in Christ to the point that we began to believe in instead of in anticipation, we began to believe in inevitability. It was almost as if if God places the name of a person on our heart, it's because he is saving them. And we just got to enter into that process. And it became that much anticipation. Now, all of that's being really challenged right now because we don't have that sense of inevitability at the moment, except for 
his passion and compassion toward all the people that are there, and we know that he wants to save them. So with that in mind, we I want to open this up for questions, oh. okay? Well, don't we have to quit? No, I think we're done at 2.30, aren't we? 2.30? Oh, 2.15, I think, babe. Well, that was when it started at 1.15, but they pushed everything back 15 minutes. Yeah, good. So let's let's talk a little bit. Okay, I'll do that. Yep, because they're recording, so behave yourself. You shared that you had about 150 on your prayer list? Um, yeah, it's more like probably 230. And your wife? Yeah. Mm, I don't know, and I can't... Here's the thing that's cool about... I started numbering them and whatever, and here's the thing that's cool. <laughs> it's about capacity. She we, has like somewhere in the neighborhood of 450. I'm not working. Like my children and my grandchildren live in a different state. It's a crazy season of my life. I'm spending all my time meeting people. So every time I meet someone, I write their name down. And I can pray through a list of probably... It's probably 700 people by now, I would guess. Oh, I can pray through I that. I can pray through that in about 10 minutes. And I've since created another list, and it only has people on it whose faces I can connect with their name. And I pray more often through that list, but then I pray, I don't know how many times a day, for the 50, 75 people that we're close to and that we're really in relationship with, and I don't need my list to pray for them. You know, it's practically all I think about. One of the things that you'll find if if you make this a way of life, again, this isn't a program, it's not a method, this is a way of living. Because we believe that what matters most is people finding Jesus. Therefore, we live this way. One of the things you'll find is that, is that God will begin to uh, usher you into relationships. And different people will emerge as the ones that he's working in or the ones that you especially fall in love with or the ones that are just kind of fun to be with. And you'll start okay? out and thinking. And it gets to be fun. That's okay. This can be fun. You'll start out thinking. Evangelism has always been pulling teeth, right? It's been awful and painful. It gets to be fun. You start out thinking, ooh, I think God's really working in this person's life. I think we're making a connection. I, this is going on. And then, boom, it's like they fall off the map. You don't see them for months. They push you away, something like that. A year later, they rise. They surface again. There was a girl in our apartment last night, very first person I had coffee with. And my faith was something she wanted to argue with, even though that wasn't the conversation we were Lauren, having. Right? And last night, she was in our apartment for the sh- baby shower. And she's become closer friends with someone else that is coming closer to me and, and so, it's life cycle because she was in there pregnant like this yeah and back when you were talking she was just self-contained and doing her uh, own thing and had no interest in spiritual things whatsoever yeah it's cycles in life yeah she still doesn't okay signs that god is at work like oh sorry Oh, i'm sorry okay so we were specific about the prayer part but what are we actually watching for? So pray and watch. Okay, as we pray, we're watching for what God is doing in their lives to draw Him to Himself, and seeing those indicators, letting that motivate us, and letting that um, instruct us on the condition of their soil. So you've got the parable of the four soils, so that we can be sensitive to the fact that when God has cultivated a soil well, then we're going to keep walking into that that relationship more assertively and more intentionally and plant the seeds of the gospel in that soil. It could be circumstances that you go, oh my gosh, my neighbor's best friend growing up, father got murdered last week. And we've been having some good conversations. This is not an accident. This is a true story. Her name is Venetia. This is just this week. And so I take that as like a moment, a key moment in time for me to connect, you know, and be more available to Venetia. So you watch for circumstances. You just watch for softness and curiosity. I, my take on Jesus and the woman at the well is that he made it, he would say a statement, 
And then he would watch. And then he followed her curiosity. And I think that he kept going all the way to where he went, following her curiosity, and then he stopped. It wasn't an accident that timing way either. The disciples came back. She walked away. He didn't seal the deal with her. But her whole community was influenced for the gospel because he just followed her curiosity. And I think I share who I am in my relationships with people without ever insinuating that I am trying to convince them to believe in it. And I sometimes I feel this and sometimes I feel this. Right? And then I just sort of follow. It's that doesn't like, acro- come across the recording very well, does it? Oh, it's kind of like in parenting, you know? You give your kids as much information as they're ready for when they're asking questions. But if you try to dump it all on them, they just tune you out. Okay, but I also so, want to make this emphasis, okay? Because, again, I want to make this as accessible to every believer as we possibly can. Therefore, watching really is in many ways... God to work. It's, it's done in anonymity. It's done in quietness. It's like nobody even knows that you're watching. It's like every single one of us in the room and a whole bunch of people that you know that are painfully shy or introverted or ungifted or whatever it might be, they can engage this way as well and watch. They can watch from a distance what God is doing. We can watch quietly. We can watch, like, I I can't tell you how many times I I go to the grocery store, right, and I've got a couple things I got to get, right, and I'm walking and there's Joe down aisle eight. And I scoot right by aisle eight really as fast as I can, right? Because I don't even want to see Joe. But I did see Joe. And in some sense, that's a divine appointment. And I go down to aisle 12 and I get lettuce and then I get out of there so I don't have to talk to Joe. Does anybody feel like that with me? You want to avoid people? Okay, see? Yeah, right. But, but I'm praying, God, draw Joe to your heart. And thanks for this encounter I just had with Joe. It reminded me to pray for him again. You follow me? I want to make all those little things rather than, oh, man, I'm such a bad Christian. I just... Missed another opportunity and I didn't walk through that door. I'm such an idiot. I want to say, hang on. God's the one who saves. That was a moment of success. I just prayed for Joe and praying is the very best work I can do. So when people in your ministry, you can see they want to go farther. They want to be more and more effective in people's lives. Then you can start talking to them about, you know, how they relate with people and stuff. But this was kind of fun at lunch. I was talking to a girl, and she said something I've never heard anybody else say, but I say it all the time, and it's that ministry is a front-row seat to watch God do miracles, right? Life, that's how we want to live. The closer we are to people, then the better seat we're going to have when the miracle unfolds, and that is where we really want to start and keep the emphasis because the emphasis, it's not, the, it's not about words spoken. It's about this, what the Spirit of God does in a person's heart when those words are spoken or when they're not spoken because they've Good. been spoken okay, before. Okay, another question. Shoot. Yeah. Perfect for you. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. But Come up here and give me five. Right? Just it take, is like awesome. Fake one but I'm going to tell you this. That this is perfect for you. And I'm an, I am I won't even go there. I, I get it. This is perfect for you. You just pray quietly, secretly, and watch for miracles. But don't limit yourself to 10 or 12 people. 10 or 12 people is great. But if there's, I mean, there's more and more people that need Jesus. And if it's going to take you 10 seconds to pray for 10 people's names, 
just like Paul did, making mention of them, like we're bringing them before the throne of God, asking him to, to meet their greatest need. It's an incredible, incredible work we do, better than any other work you'll ever do. So don't limit it to 10 if you know 20 people. And if God gives you a new name, put a new name on your list. And who knows? Okay, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been told that like 70% of the world's population consider themselves introverts. I don't know if that's true or not, if anybody's in here is an expert in that. If that's true, guess what? There's something unique about an introvert, and that is that they're suspicious about extroverts. <laughs> so now, the laughter tells me most of you in the room are introverts, see? Okay? Or because what are extroverts? Extroverts do, like people. me, right? You're schmoozing. You talk too much. You're too loud. You talk too fast. You know, all that stuff, right? Okay, and so, yeah, you, you nailed me. All right. Okay, so, but introverts are going to be the ones that God chooses to reach introverts because they can't be reached by extroverts. We're all a bunch of jerks and smoozers and used car salesmen, whatever. And so there's this cool dynamic in terms of God has designed you exactly as you are to reach someone else. In fact, I'll say this. Nobody asked this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a conviction I have in my heart about why God gives me my next breath. Because everything on earth that we're doing now, being saved, is better done in heaven, in his presence, right? Everything, you name it, there's nothing except one thing. And that's evangelism. That's reaching somebody for Jesus, right? We can't do it, okay? So if, if that's true, then it's very possible that God continues to allow you to breathe because your next breath is in his hand because he has someone out there that he's using you to bring to him. How's that for purpose for living? And let me say this. It's perfectly safe and the right thing to do to just call people to this lifestyle of prayer. Because here's what happens. I am an introvert, and I am living so far outside of my comfort zone, I can hardly stand it. But as well, in we're my not daily asking life, you to do that. But I'm not. Seriously, I'm here's dead why serious. I I'm not asking you to do that right now. Because as you continue to pray and keep the gospel at the center of everything, sometimes your passion grows so that it overrides your natural personality. Mm-hmm. And I am a living testimony of that okay and what i would add in testifying about your life Mm -hmm. is that what's unique about you is the way that you love people yeah and that's what happens when we pray we fall in love and god gives a love and Mm -hmm. it's the love that ends up being contagious and when love comes out of us that way it's a unique and powerful thing start open your bible and start reading Mm -hmm. how much love is in the bible right Mm -hmm. it's all about love and people are compelled toward the love of christ Okay, so if you were to get a hold of this book, it will give you all the details of what a Pray and Watch lifestyle looks like And if you're interested and you want more. And by the way, also how to cultivate a culture, a Pray and Watch culture in your family, on your teams, in your Sunday school classes, in your church, among your men's ministry or your women's ministry or children's ministry, okay, youth groups, all of that. And so there's some of that in there in the back part of it too. Um, Yes, Pray and Watch. Pray and Watch is all about that practice. Discover the Life has Pray and Watch in it. It's one of four practices that connect our hearts to who God is, connect our hearts to His truth and the gospel, and connect our hearts to the work that He's doing inside of us and our brokenness and our need for His healing work. In the context of relationship in the community. And in the church. And the fourth practice is the Pray and Watch one. So all four of them are in there. Okay, I think this is probably... Okay, so we have a table upstairs. We also have, and they're at, they're on sale. You have to buy it at the bookstore, okay? 
And then, and then. Um, but there's not very many. You can, and then we have a website where you can go order. Okay, it's Simple Living Inc. Inc. Dot net, and so you can go through that in order. And then we had probably last question right here. It's not really a question, but I, I was talking with God, and I said, God, about about marriage. He says, Yeah, you're going to be married, sure, but there's no marriage in heaven. Okay. So if you're going to get married, you have to do it here. Okay. So he says, As far as evangelism is, you know, if you're always waiting, so you're going to get better, be a better evangelist. You know, don't wait to. Because you won't need it in heaven. Oh, nice. Good. So there's two things on earth. That's right. We can't be married in heaven. Yep. Evangelism and marriage. And right. they're both yeah. about the gospel. Huh. Even marriage. Marriage is Our marriage is not an end in itself. Unity with Christ, Your family right? is not an end in itself. All right. Good I want to pray for us all. Can I do that? Let's pray together. Father, we um, so long that you would release your power, your presence, and your truth, your message, your gospel into the hearts and lives of people that are actually perishing through our lives. Lord Jesus, would you do that? Would you show us how to access this and begin to live and just live day to day to day to day in this way? Would you show us how to give it away to others as well so that, in fact, they might also take this on? Because, Lord, it just seems to me that, that the world is not far away to be reached if, in fact, you would just uh, enliven us and impassion us to live this way quietly, lovingly, because it's what you're doing, Lord. And you have told us in Colossians that the gospel is constantly bearing fruit in all the world. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being a part of what you are doing to complete and finish your kingdom. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, may it be my last request is that these people in this room, that you would give them the privilege over the course of this next year to actually be used by you to usher an individual to faith in Jesus. And let that be transformational in them in their church, and in the greater community. For we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.